son Hudson woke up about two hours before he was typically going to wake up. Got up, fed him, put him back down, and um, went back to bed, and I was just drifting off to sleep when I heard him snoring, which the snoring was exaggerated, so I thought he was joking around about not having to get up with the baby. I came back in the room. I was still making the fake snoring that she thought I was making, and um, she knew something was wrong. So, you know, I'm nudging him, and he's not responding, and I'm nudging him harder, and um, realized that he was not responding in any way. When the EMTs arrived, it was just organized chaos, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, they worked on him for, for I think like 45 minutes before they were able to get his heart started again. And even that was, um, they stopped when, in the middle of it and um, took him to the hospital. So they still didn't have a heartbeat when they took him outside and um, they didn't get his heartbeat back until about five minutes out from the hospital. They put me in a coma for about a week, put me on ice. Uh, my brain was without, without oxygen for 45 minutes, so they had to put me on ice, and um, I stayed there for about 12 days. Everything that the doctors were telling me was bad news. The doctors told me that there was zero chance that there would not be some impact on his brain. As it turns out, I had what they called sudden death syndrome. They still do not really know what happened. My heart just quit working one night. And so Friday was really when he started cognitively. He was able to respond. Um, he knew who I was. He was able to answer questions. The nurses and doctors were asking him how many kids he had and things like that. And so that was almost a week afterwards. And then after that, he rapidly <laughs> improved. And we got moved out of the ICU and everything. I've always knew that prayer was strong. Um, but this has shown me that it is much stronger than I ever thought it would be. Um, the amount of support and prayers that have come to us uh, has just been overwhelming. People that have, that have come up to me or written notes and cards that have said, look man, you know, this, this faith thing that you got going on with your church, you know, it's made me and my family pray for you and we've been praying for you now. Through all of this, God was everywhere. Um, that night, um, you know, in the midst of all of the chaos and everything going on, I was perfectly aware of how at peace I was. I mean, I wasn't panicked or anything like that. I mean, obviously I was worried and wasn't sure what was happening and, you know, scared for my husband, but I was very calm, I think. <laughs> um, but I remember feeling comforted throughout the whole thing. Um, I shouldn't have come out from what a lot of people say. I shouldn't be talking from what a lot of people say. From a faith perspective, it's obviously strengthened my bond with Christ. I know that my perspective is different now. You know, we've we've talked about moving out to the country, and you know, we have all these pipe dreams of living out with you know not as close neighbors and things like that. And now I can't even I can't even imagine that I can't. So, and everybody just kind of gathered our family up and took care of us. You know, I think that every day means something different going forward. I know that, that waking up, you know, specifically, there's a, there's a prayer of thanks and thankfulness for being here. Um, obviously, Easter is no different, you know. Um, being able to wake up and, and celebrate Christ and, and the resurrection is, is, is a gift any day of the week, you know, um, regardless of pending circumstances or other things that might have happened in the past. But, um, yeah, you know, I think this year is a little more special.
as is every day, I think. Wow, powerful story, right? So, um, again, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Tim Power. I'm pastor of Modern Worship here, and we are in a sermon series. The sermon series is called Resurrection Stories, and that was a pretty powerful resurrection story, wasn't it? That's pretty amazing. Uh, some, some people would even call that uh, a miracle, a miracle. Now, in the Bible, there is this phrase that we use when we talk about miraculous things happening. Uh, it's called signs and wonders, Signs and wonders, and, and the Bible is full of these signs and wonders. Now, here's the thing about signs. Signs actually uh, aren't the thing themselves. They point to something beyond the sign, right? It's not the thing itself, but it points to something beyond that. What I want to do, I'm, I'm going to put some signs up on the screen, and I want you to tell me what, you can just shout it out. We're, we're going to be very informal about this. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, just tell me what these signs mean. So, so let's put some signs up. No U-turn. I hate this sign. Does anybody hate this sign? Especially here in Ladue. Oh, my goodness. No U-turn. You can't get a U-turn until you get up to North County. So, so no U-turn. You got that one. Okay, let's see the next sign. Pedestrian walking. Yeah, yeah, crossing. So, so be careful. Pedestrian crossing. Let's see another sign. What is this sign? Nike, my, my son won't wear anything unless it has this swoosh on it. Okay, so Nike, you can tell just from that. You didn't have to see any letters, anything else. You saw what was behind the sign from the sign. Okay, let's see one more. Some of you are drooling right now. It's a Pavlonian experience just to get that, right? Uh, it's a McDonald's sign, Right? Now, here's the thing. It's, it's kind of amazing how you can see these things and so many things come to mind because you actually are getting what's behind the sign. The sign is something that points to something else. So we have these things in Scripture, signs and wonders. And what I want to talk a little bit about, because this is something that a lot of Christians struggle with, this idea of signs and wonders, and are they for us today? Does God still work in signs and wonders? Does God still heal? Like, we, we saw that amazing story of healing, but, but how often does that, does that really happen? And can God do that in your life, in my life? Uh, just can, can you raise your hand? Have you ever prayed for someone or something to be healed? Okay, now I say something because my first experience with supernatural healing was with my first pet. It was a cricket named Jerry. I named him after my older brother. I'm sure he felt really good about that. It was a great tribute. So I found a cricket, and uh, I decided I was going to keep him in some Tupperware. Uh, what I didn't know is that you actually need to let a cricket breathe so I put him in the Tupperware, and I, put, uh, I, I, I covered it up with the plastic top, and pretty soon, Jerry wasn't moving anymore. But you couldn't see that coming. So my mom said, oh, no, no, you, you actually have to have some holes in that. And I thought, great. So I poked holes with some forks in our plastic Tupperware. My mom was really happy about that. And guess what? I prayed. I prayed for Jerry. And I prayed, God, please heal my cricket, Jerry, and guess what happened? Jerry woke up, and he lived glorious four more days because that's how long crickets live, apparently. So that was my first experience where I prayed for God to heal something, 
and it worked. That's amazing. Skip forward in my life quite a few years later. My own father was diagnosed with uh, 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 bowel cancer. Um, this was back in 2007. It was a terminal diagnosis, but we still prayed. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and yet my father passed away. Now, now this comes the, here comes the big dichotomy and the big challenge for Christians in our day and age, which is that why does God heal sometimes and not heal other times? Why did God heal the cricket Jerry, but he didn't heal my father? Now, the temptation would be to just say that God doesn't heal anymore or that, that, that God doesn't work in that way or that maybe what a lot of people would just say, there is no God, or if he is, if he does exist, he's just cruel. But that's not what we believe. That is not what we believe. We actually believe in a God who is a resurrection God, who is a resurrected Lord and Savior, and it can and does work in our lives. Now, I want to give us a little bit of a theology to work from uh, when we're talking about this idea of healing. I want to talk about what Christians believe. And actually, Christians across the board have several different ways of viewing miraculous things. And I want to talk a little bit about three different viewpoints that a lot of Christians come from when you talk about miraculous things. Here's three different Christian views on miracles. And I'm going to get a little bit teachy here, a little bit less preachy, but just try to stay with me. Okay, there's first the more academic view. This is what we call the historical criticism view. This view says that biblical supernatural claims should be read skeptically with an emphasis on their symbolic or metaphorical meaning. So if you were probably going to go get your Ph.D. in historical theology, you would probably encounter that a lot of academic folks take this viewpoint. They take kind of a detached reading of Scripture. In, in church, what we do is we take what's called a devotional reading of Scripture. We take it, we try to apply it to our life. We read it like it is actually the Word of God. A lot of times in a more academic setting, what they do is they read it like it's a historical document, like you would read um, the Iliad or the Odyssey or something like that. They're trying to have a detached viewpoint, and what they would say is that, no, we, we, we look at it kind of as, as stories that have a purpose and have a meaning, but we don't necessarily take it as truth. We don't actually think that this stuff happened. Um, the next viewpoint is what we call a cessationist viewpoint. This viewpoint says that miracles and supernatural events occurred in biblical times but have ceased occurring in the present day. Um, when I grew up and I was, a, I've, I've been a lot of things, I'm a kind of a spiritual mutt, um, but when I was a Presbyterian at one point, uh, when my parents took us to a Presbyterian church, this was the viewpoint of that church, and they basically said, yes, miracles happen in biblical times, but none of that happens anymore. Now, the next is this, the continuationist view, that God continues to perform miracles and intervene in our daily lives. If you want to know what United Methodists believe, we are continuationists, okay? Um, and, you know, you might have come to this church for a long time and not necessarily known that. I, I got a text the other day uh, from somebody who comes to our church and has come for years about um, what is this, what, and he texted me and asked, what is the United Methodist stance on this hot button issue? I'm not going to tell you the hot button issue because I avoid conflict. If you want to come up to me later and ask me, um, uh, I'll probably avoid it then too, so that's the deal. Um, 
But he asked me this question, and, and I let him know, and he had no idea that what, our, what our stance on a view was. So if you're wondering, what do United Methodists believe about miracles? We actually are continuationists. We believe that God does interact with our daily lives, that God can and many times does heal people, that God actually can have these resurrection moments in all of our lives. Now, we still struggle, though, with the idea that Sometimes God heals, and there's other times when God doesn't. I want to read uh, a really interesting passage from uh, the book of Luke. I love this passage, and it, it reminds me of that story we were talking about because what uh, the, the video that we watched earlier was a story of somebody, and the, the most powerful thing to me, obviously, the healing. What God did to bring this person back from the brink of death was amazing, but also how people lifted him in prayer how the community surrounded him, and really that made such a big difference. Now I want to read a story from Luke that, that I think mirrors that pretty well. Luke 5, uh, starting in verse 17, says this. One day when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every, vis- uh, from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the, because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, cot and all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and Pharisees began to mutter amongst themselves, who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, get up. Take your cot and go home. Right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, and went home praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, We have seen unimaginable things today. Now, I don't know about you. I, you know, I don't think I'm a bad preacher, but nobody's breaking through the ceiling trying to get in to see me preach. This is a pretty amazing story because these men know that Jesus can heal. They have faith for their friend that Jesus can heal. And I think it's just such an amazing story. They broke a hole in the roof to bring him down so that Jesus could see. Now, here's one thing that I find really interesting. This is what we would call a sign and a wonder. But remember what we said earlier. Signs point to something else, right? Signs point to something else. Now, what does Jesus say? I think this is really, really interesting. Um, When the man comes down and says that Jesus saw his friend's faith, his friend's faith, that doesn't even say the faith of the man who's drawn down. It says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And that really, really riles everybody up because they said that only God can forgive sins. Now, the sign was the healing, but what it pointed towards was the forgiveness of sins. 
That's the real miracle of who Jesus is. That's the real reason that Jesus came to the earth. Now, here's one of the powerful things I, I think you need to think about. Anytime you think about healing, Jesus healed Lazarus. Lazarus. He brought him back from the dead. Guess what happened to Lazarus one day? He died. Okay? Jesus healed this man who was paralyzed. Guess what happened to this man one day? He died. Even when Jesus heals, it's a sign pointing to some greater truth, and that greater truth is the forgiveness of sins. That greater truth is that Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. That is what the sign points to. That is what the miracle is for. The sign and the wonder is to point us to something beyond that. What I want to do real quick is I want to talk about something that I think I struggle with and probably all of us have struggled with at some point, which is this question of why, if God can heal, and if God does heal still, why do we sometimes find that God doesn't heal in specific situations? Why, if I've seen God heal, and I, you know, we've actually, as a church family, have seen uh, just over the past year several really miraculous healings in our own church body of people that we didn't know how to pray for. I remember one time recently where Pastor Terry um, called me. We have a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And she said that she wanted me to pray for somebody in our church. And I said, how should I pray? And she said, I don't know, because the doctors say there's no hope. But we prayed. And I shared that with our group that, that gets together every Wednesday, and we prayed for healing. And you know what? A week later, that person who was in a coma came out of a coma. And a month later, that person was to full recovered health. And that's amazing. But here's the thing. That happens sometimes, but sometimes that doesn't happen. You can pray and pray and pray. So what I want to talk about is reasons, three reasons specifically, why God doesn't heal everyone always. Now, we know that Jesus, when he was on earth, we know we, there's, there's examples of him healing dozens of people, and it's, it's, um, it's actually talked about that he probably healed hundreds and hundreds of people. But, you know, when he was on earth, he did not heal everyone who was sick at all times. So I want to talk about three reasons God doesn't heal everyone always. The first is this. God does not perform miracles to prove himself. He does not perform miracles to prove himself. Um, this we can see in the example a couple weeks ago. We talked about Jesus in the wilderness. And the devil came and tempted him and told him, you know, you could make this, these stones into bread and you could eat it. And Jesus talks about, I do not do miracles to prove myself. I can, but I don't do miracles to prove himself. And he said that oftentimes when, when the Pharisees and, and uh, the Sadducees would come to him, he would say, I don't do miracles to prove myself. So that's the first reason. The second reason I think is really important. God does not perform miracles if it conflicts with God's ultimate will. If it conflicts with God's ultimate will. Let me give you a good example of this in the life of Jesus. One example where Jesus performed a miracle and in the second moment could have performed a miracle but didn't. When Jesus was in the garden towards the end of his life, he was praying and he was betrayed by Judas. And if you remember the story, Judas betrays him with a kiss. That's to show um, the guards who to take away, that this is Jesus. So he betrays Jesus with a kiss and these guards come to take hold of Jesus. And I don't know if you remember this part of the story. Peter, I love Peter. He's He's just always messing up, and so that, that makes me like him. 
um, I, I can relate, okay? So Peter comes, and he tries to stop these people who are grabbing hold of Jesus, and he takes out a sword, and he, I, I'm guessing he's aiming for the guy's head, one of the guards, and he cuts his ear off. Good intentions, bad aim, right? So he cuts this guy's ear off, and I'm sorry, this is kind of a gory story, but here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, Peter, 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 you're, 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 you're all wrong about this. This is not what I want you to do. What he does is he grabs the guy's ear, and he reattaches the guy's ear, a miraculous thing in that moment. But then just a moment later, he has a teaching moment with Peter, and he says, Peter, did you not know that I could call down a legion of angels from heaven to protect me. But that's not God's will in this moment. So we see in that moment that, that God can do miracles, but if it's against his ultimate will, sometimes he chooses to not do a miracle in that moment. The last one is this. God does not perform miracles where there is no faith. Now I want to be careful about this. Um, there are some well-meaning Christians who, who will will do this, um, and I say well-meaning, I think that they, they, their heart is in the right place, but, but they, they treat people in the wrong way, not, not a Christ-like way. Um, if somebody is praying for something miraculous in their life, some Christians might say, well, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. Or they might say, well, it's because of this sin in your life. No, actually what Jesus says is that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, a tiny little bit of faith, it can move mountains. It can change everything. But when I say that, Jesus, that God doesn't perform miracles where there's no faith, um, we see this in, as an example. When Jesus when his, was in his hometown, maybe some of you have experienced this, where you go off, you go to school, you get um, some kind of uh, you, education, you get some kind of uh, credentials behind you, but then you go home and everybody treats you like you're a kid again. That happened to Jesus, and it's said that he could not perform miracles in that place because there was no faith. So where there is no faith, there can't be a miracle, but it doesn't take much faith. It can be the faith the size of a mustard seed, and God can come through. One thing I think that was awesome about the story we just read, and this might be a, a comfort to some people in here, especially if you feel like you don't have faith for a miracle. If you're sick, if you're in a dark place, the great thing is that you're in a community of people that can surround you. If you remember the story that we heard earlier, the amazing thing was that Jesus said it was the faith of his friends that brought the miracle, that brought that sign that pointed to the forgiveness of sins. It was the faith of his friends that amazed Jesus. You know, the, the only thing that we read about in Scripture that amazes Jesus is faith. He's not amazed by your willpower. He's not amazed by the, all the things you can get done in a day. He's amazed by your faith, and your faith can move mountains. Now, before we... Uh, take communion together before we partake in what I think is a miraculous event, which is uh, this supper that we're going to take together. I want to tell two stories because I, I know that this is hard for people, especially if you've prayed for a miracle and you feel like God didn't come through. Um, I'm going to share two stories, actually, about two friends of mine. My friend Tom and then my friend Mark. Their stories are very, very similar and yet very different in the end. Um, 
first I'll, I'll, I'll share Tom's story. Uh, Tom, uh, uh, he, he, he lives out in Maryville, Missouri. It's a very rural area. Um, years ago, Tom was working as a machinist, and um, his wife uh, became pregnant with their uh, first child. Now, they were overjoyed, obviously, but um, as, as the pregnancy went on, they started getting some, some troubling messages from their doctor, and their doctor said, uh, gave them kind of a bad diagnosis. They said, um, your daughter actually has uh, an issue with her brain. It's not developing the way it should should develop. In fact, you know, if m- most of us, if you've, if you've seen pictures of the human brain, it has a lot of grooves and, and, and folds and things. Um, his daughter's brain was actually growing, but it was totally smooth on the top. Um, and they said, Tom, she's probably never going to learn to walk. She's probably never going to learn to talk. And he got this diagnosis, and, and obviously it's devastating. And uh, he was in his, his doctor's office with, with uh, uh, his wife's doctor's office with her, um, and they got this terrible diagnosis. And Tom got a word from God. Now, let me tell you something about Tom. He had never gone to church before. Grew up in a family that didn't attend any kind of church, which actually from Maryville, Missouri, is kind of an anomaly. Um, but, but Tom said he heard God say to him, your daughter's going to be fine. And on the way home, he told his wife, God told me our, our daughter's going to be okay. And she said, God? What are you talking about, God? You never talk about God. We don't believe in God. He said, I do believe in God now. <laughs> and God said, she's going to be fine. They told him that when she was born, she would probably have numerous seizures. Um, that's, that's what usually happens with, with this condition. In her first week, she had no seizures. Now, she did have hydrocephalus, which was, they told her, they told him that she would have water on the brain, which she did have. Um, They put a shunt in, and they were able to relieve that. Um, The first week, she had no seizures. The second week, she had no seizures. First year, she had no seizures. She never had any seizures. Um, Tom goes to a neurologist. Um, and uh, it's in Kansas City. That's the closest place he can, he can go to a really, really good neurologist. He said, I have no explanation for this, Tom. And Tom said, I have an explanation. God did this. God healed my little girl. You know, um, here's the amazing thing about this. Tom didn't know anything about God. Tom right now is a pastor of three rural churches in the United Methodist Church because of this amazing experience he had where God spoke to him. And he said, you know, the greatest miracle wasn't that my daughter was healed. That's an amazing miracle. It was what it pointed to. It was that because of this miracle, my family knows Jesus. And I don't know where we'd be without Jesus. I don't know where we'd be without Jesus. And um, he told me that he has trouble sharing that story with people because he knows a lot of people who haven't had that miracle happen in their lives. By the way, his daughter, Stephanie, plays piano for their church. She follows her dad around everywhere he goes, and she plays piano now. They told her, they told him she'd never be able to talk or walk, any of that, and she plays piano for her dad's church. Amazing. Let me tell you a second story, though. I'm going to tell you a story about my, my friend Mark. My friend Mark has a very similar thing happen. Mark um, and, his, and his wife, they, they were uh, pregnant with their first son, Lucas, very similar diagnosis. They said that, that he has a, a brain anomaly, 
uh, where, where it was, his brain was basically smooth. There was no grooves, no, no separation. And um, they said that he was probably going to have seizures his whole life. They said that he was probably never going to talk. He was probably never going to walk. I prayed with Mark and his wife many, many times for healing for Lucas. We got together, people from our church, people from Mark's church, and we just prayed night after night after night that Lucas would be healed. Lucas was born. He had hydrocephalus, just like Stephanie. In his first day, he had dozens of seizures. He continues to have many, many seizures every day. Lucas is 12 years old right now. He has never walked. He has never talked. Here's the thing, though. If you talk to Mark and you ask Mark about this, Mark's response is the same as Tom's response. Mark says this every time I ask him about this situation. He says, I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. We prayed for healing. It didn't come through in the way that we wanted it to come through, but I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. Whether it's a sign and a wonder, an amazing miracle that comes through in that moment, or whether it's just the the wondrous nature of who Lucas is every single day. It all points to a Savior. See, we all have a sign that points us to a Savior. So even when we don't get the miracle exactly the way we're asking for, we can still look to a Savior and say that God is good all the time. God is good all the time because every sign, whether it's a miracle like we saw in the case of Stephanie or whether it's a miracle in the case of who Lucas is, it's all a sign that points us to a Savior, amen? It's all a sign that points us to a Savior. And that's why we come to this table today because we have a Savior. We have a Savior who sets us free from sin and death who makes amazing miracles happen every day in our lives. If you would pray with me. Lord God, I come before you right now, and I thank you for the miracle that is your love, for the miracle that it is to know you and to be known by you. And Lord God, I pray that you would bless these elements, that you would make this be your blood poured out for us, that you would make this bread to be your body broken for us. Lord God, every miracle is a sign that points back to a Savior. And I pray that something miraculous would happen in our hearts today. When we take of this meal, I pray, Lord God, that we would know you more deeply, that we would love you more deeply. that we could make your love known to a world that is desperate to know you. We pray this all in your holy name, amen.